I promise you, if you begin to lose some of these words to lose and start using these words to use, they may not consciously notice it, but they will begin to see you as more self-assured. This is Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Max. Delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. No worries. Glad to have you on. And you have a lot of insights that you can share with my audience in regards to communicating effectively in the workplace. So before we get to that, why don't you share a little bit about your expertise on how you've helped professionals improve their communication? Yeah, thank you. My background is TV news. I was a reporter and an anchor at several CBS affiliate stations back east. I now live in Oregon, but I spent early part of my career on the East Coast. And then when we moved to Oregon, I continued to do my voiceover work but found that over the years, the way people communicated was changing. People were definitely Velcroed to their devices. And when you don't have a chance to speak with people face-to-face, when we're not looking people in the eye, it's really hard to develop a relationship. And so I decided to take my skills from broadcast TV news, where you have to make connections with people fast, right? Because most of the time, people on the street do not want to be talking with a news person. You have to make those connections fast, introduce yourself, and get people to want to talk with you. And I took those skills and developed the Confidence Project starting in 2014 to help people communicate better with more clarity and with more confidence. That's a good point you made. As a broadcaster, you sometimes interview people on the street regarding specific news items, right? So how did you get people to open up fairly quickly with you, especially with a camera in their face? (laughs) Well, first of all, I would look people in the eye. You know, when you look someone in the eye, it makes them feel important. And if it's tricky for you to look someone in the eye, I have a great tip. Look at the bridge of their nose. It's a fabulous fake. It's close enough. It's in the neighborhood of looking people in the eye, and it makes people feel as if you're really paying attention to them. And then right away, I would introduce myself using my full name. I believe that our name is a part of our personal and professional identity. There are a lot of Maxes in the world. There are a lot of Tracys in the world but there's only one Max Chan and there's only one Tracy Hooper and there's only one of every one of your listeners who has the same eye color and fingerprint and your own unique name. I encourage people to use their name, full name, and that gets people's attention. So, hi, I'm Tracy Hooper and I would tell them, you know, what station I was and may I ask you a question about, and then we would start the conversation there. So how did you like, help them project the confidence to make it a good story, a good piece of footage to broadcast? Oh, Max, here's what I know for sure. And whether you're in TV news or whatever industry you're in, everybody's favorite subject is themselves. And if you can ask people their opinion, their advice, their perspective, what they know happened, what they experienced, then people are more likely to talk with you, listen to you, interview you, hire you, promote you, recommend you, because you have an interest in them. I find what happens a lot is that we get very focused on ourselves, what we want to pitch, what we want to offer, what our expertise is, and that doesn't provide conversation. That's a monologue, 
that's my telling you something or you telling me something, but it's not a dialogue. And what really builds relationships is when we have a natural back and forth, one person talking with another, and then the other person responding, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Hmm, how did you come up with that idea? By the way, I call those the magic words, what, how, and tell me more. If you're trying to develop a relationship with somebody or build rapport, you can start off with some of the small talk, which I believe small talk leads to big conversation. But part of how you can do that is saying, tell me about you. Tell me how you started your business. Tell me what you like most about your job. What's the most challenging part of your work now that you're fully remote or you're hybrid or whatever someone's situation is? What and how open up a conversation, and then tell me more expands it. Tell me more about that. Hmm. That's interesting. Keep going. That's an interesting story. Keep talking. <laughs> when we say that to people, it encourages people to talk about themselves and they love it. So how do you build that rapport? Like, what are some of the questions you can ask to like open up the small talk a bit and get the people to open up? Hmm. Well, it depends on the situation. If you are at a networking event, I always recommend that you pick in your mind one or two people who you'd like to meet before the end of the event. And there are many ways that we can do research about people straight away. We can go to LinkedIn. If we know or we assume there may be some people at this networking event who we want to meet, look them up ahead of time. Find out about their background on LinkedIn. Google them. Look at a website that might have you know their about page on it. And then you have something to talk with somebody about so that you can go up to them and say, oh, Max, I'm so glad to see you here today. I was hoping you'd be here. Tell me about your podcast. I understand it's one of the most popular on the East Coast or wherever. And that way you have an interest because I've done some research and it's not creepy because everybody has their information online, but it shows that I've done some homework and that I want to know you better. That's how you can start a conversation. And you can also start a conversation by giving somebody a compliment. I had a very good friend who at 89 years old was one of the wise women in the world. Her name was Miriam Thornburg. And she used to say, if you can't think of something to say to someone, tell them, I like your shoes. <laughs> so a compliment is a great way to start. However, I have a gentleman I know who had a storied, long, very successful career at HBO and he told me he never complimented people on what they wore or what they look like. He would only compliment someone on their accomplishment or on their traits. The accomplishment could be if I came up to you and I would say, congratulations on your podcast. I listened to it the other day and it was terrific. Well, now that's a compliment. I'm complimenting you on something specific that you do. You could compliment somebody on winning an award having an article published in the newspaper, doing a TEDx talk, whatever your interest may be for them, or compliment them on their traits. You're such a great teammate, or I appreciate your flexibility in meeting me at this time, or you're a very fierce competitor. I admire that about you. You can either compliment someone. It depends on how well you know them, Max. If you know someone well or you've exchanged emails, you could certainly say, those are great glasses. They look terrific on you. But it could be safer sometimes if you don't know someone very well to compliment them on their trait or on an accomplishment. Those are ways you can get conversation started. 
Great. And in terms of the like interview process, a common thing that professionals do is that they tend to want to just answer the question without any emotion. So how do you like communicate effectively your expertise, but then also build that rapport to connect with them? Oh, that's such a great question. My short answer to that would be to tell a story. There's a tendency to have someone ask us a question, we answer it. But tell a story to build your case because everyone can relate to stories. That's why TV news is still compelling because it's all about stories, whether someone lost a job or is looking for a job or we're talking about inflation or the climate situation. There's a story around all of those issues. And anytime you can build a story, for instance, if you're applying for a job and someone asks you a question, you could build a story around, well, the first time I was thrown out into the world to do sales, I was nervous. But what I began to do was, and I learned this from, and then tell a story around that. And that pulls people in. And there's emotion in that. People really respond to a story because it gives us an emotion. There's a hero, there's a vision, a villain, there's a problem, there's a solution. Great. The main point of our conversation today is more so of when someone gets the job, right? And then they're working with all these brand new people. And I want to help my audience be effective communicators in the new workplace and make them position themselves as leaders. So what are some like common words that you want a new employee to get rid of? So it shows that they're more impactful. It shows that they're more confident. Yeah, great. Well, obviously, we have to get rid of the fillers. And we all know the usual suspects. Uh, um, like, you know, <laughs> those are the usual words. But there's another word that I'm hearing a lot in our culture right now, and that is stuff. I know my stuff. We have a lot of stuff to cover. Stuff is what is in your kitchen junk drawer. <laughs> stuff is what's in your closet, clothes you haven't worn for two years because you've just been dressed from the waist up with good clothes on top and jeans or sweatpants on the bottom. Stuff is one of those words that doesn't make you sound strong. Instead, you could say, I know my material. I know the data. I know the history about this project, much stronger than the word stuff. Another one we use all the time is, oh, whatever. What does that mean? That doesn't sound strong at all. And another one of those fillers is the word so. So is a wind-up word. It's a word that we use to make a transition from one sentence to another. It's a word that we use when we're nervous so that we don't have to think through what we're going to say. We just keep talking and hoping it'll all land. What I mean by a wind-up word it's a word that people use, including me. That's one of the words I'm working on losing that we use often to start a conversation. So the first time it happened was back in 2018. And now <laughs> your poor colleague is thinking, how long is this conversation going to go on? And the way to learn how to use fillers and some other words I'll talk about is to record yourself. That's one of the techniques put your cell phone on a shelf and press record and have a conversation. You can either record a conversation with a friend, say, I'd like to strengthen my language or record yourself. And that way you'll be able to find out what those weak words are, what I call words to lose. And fillers are certainly words to lose. The common theme that you're touching on is that less is more. The less words you use to articulate your point, the stronger you are being perceived, right? Ah, oh, that's a very good insight. That's partially true. 
when we're nervous, we speak fast and we throw in a lot of fillers. I think it makes more of an impact to practice the power of pause. Comedians do it all the time. When they're getting ready to deliver a punchline, they pause. And every time you pause, it gives you a chance to gather the words you really want to say, and it gives the listener a chance to process what you've already said, or they can get ready for the exciting comment you're about to make. So the power of pause is a very good technique. And the only way you can do that is by practicing. The tendency is to speak the same way all the time. We speak because of habit. It's comfortable. If we don't get any feedback about our language, then we continue to speak that way. It's safe. The other reason we choose the words that we do is really about culture. What do we hear in the popular culture? What are words that we use all the time that are out there in the world that we don't even know we're saying, but we hear other people saying it when we want to fit in? The other piece about culture is sometimes we can use words that we heard our elders say, or we heard our teachers say, people who were influential in our lives. For instance, I've had clients say to me, I was told never to brag. Don't promote yourself. Well, that becomes a part of your personality that, oh, I'm not supposed to brag. Well, how are you going to do that if you're applying for a job or you're new in a position? You need to be able to promote yourself in a way that's authentic. So one of the ways that we choose our words is by habit. The other is by culture. And the third way we choose words, Max, is out of fear. I learned this from a voice coach named Linda Bryce, and she has worked with speakers and singers all over the world. And by the way, we're all speakers. We are all professional speakers in some capacity. We have to speak to communicate with our colleagues or to our boss or to a client or to a prospect. And this is what Linda told me about fear. Fear, she says, a big part of why we choose the words we do. This is her quote. Our biggest fear is that we will be shamed, humiliated, or banished from the group if we speak up. So we freeze and can't access our thoughts. And while we stand there, we literally stop breathing as we're trying to gather our ideas. And when that happens, we use various words to lose to mask our anxiety, and fillers are some of those. You want to know the next grouping? Sure. The next group are called hedges. Hedges are those small, sneaky add-on words that we use because we don't want to sound too aggressive. I don't want to come on too strong. I don't want to rock the boat. Therefore, we use words such as just. I just have a quick question. I was just wondering about, I just was wondering if you've finished looking at the document. Ooh, have you heard people say that? Yeah, or sorry to bother you, right? That's another comment. Oh, yeah. Sorry to bother you. Sorry, Max, is in a category all in of its own. (laughs) People apologize, over-apologize when they don't need to, and we certainly can talk about that. But hedges are words that we can also take out of our vocabulary by finding out which ones they are. Another hedge could be sort of. I sort of think we should go in a different direction. Uh, a little bit. I'm a little bit concerned that this isn't a good project. There are all ways that we can use, I guess, I think, maybe. But pretty is a hedge. I'm wondering if that word surprises you. This is how it's used. I'm a pretty good negotiator. I'm pretty prepared for this presentation. I'm pretty skilled at sales. Ah, that doesn't make us sound strong. 
Yeah, another one would be very, right? I'm very good at sales or pretty good at sales. It's the same concept, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. When we lose that word, for instance, instead of saying, I'm very good at sales, you could say, I'm good at sales. I'm a good negotiator. I'm prepared for this presentation. It is way stronger. And here's the point. I'm not asking people not to be themselves. I want people to be able to express themselves. But we have to have an awareness of how we come off. And if that doesn't sound strong, people may not be interested in hiring us or promoting us or even asking us to be on their team. So how do you train someone to get rid of these filler words that they've been using forever? For me, I think I've used just like since I was a teenager or university or like, like's a common one too. Oh, like. Oh, yeah. Like that, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So like you try to get people to stop using words that they've used for 15, 20 years, right? Is that very hard to do? Like what's your strategy to help them with this? Yes. Well, the first strategy is to find out what those weak words are, number one, and pick one individual or set of weak words every 30 days. Because I have lists till the cows come home, Max. And if you had to get rid of all those words and replace them with words to use, which we'll talk about, it would make you anxious. Pick one word. Let's say you want to lose the word like. Give yourself 30 days to lose that word because psychologists tell us it takes 30 days to lose a bad habit and 30 days to develop a good one. That could be your goal. Another group of words to lose are called disclaimers. And disclaimers are words that we use because we want to sound humble or modest, but they don't make us sound strong. So a disclaimer would be something like, correct me if I'm wrong, or what do I know, or I'm no expert, or I could be way off base, or this is a crazy idea. We use all those words because we don't want to sound like we're bragging. But And I see you smiling here. Does this resonate with you? Yeah, especially when you work in the corporate workplace and you're presenting to like directors, uh, higher leaders, or even like lateral colleagues that you don't want to be too invasive. I think that's the word, right? So they're trying to play nice or get that approval. So they're trying to stay in the middle, right? Instead of like, be more confident in their decision-making. Correct. But think about that. If you're speaking to senior management, if you're making a proposal to senior management, does senior management speak that way? It doesn't show that you respect them more by putting yourself down. By saying something like, oh, correct me if I'm wrong. Why in the world would we ask someone to correct us before we even started talking? It's stronger to say a words to use would be, let me know if I heard this correctly. Instead of saying, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, you could say, in my experience, you do have experience. Everyone who's listening today has experience in some industry or another. You can say, from my experience, instead of saying, what do I know? Or I could be way off base. You know, you could say, here's my perspective. Much stronger ways to present yourself. And it doesn't sound, someone said to me one time, what's the difference between confident and cocky. Well, cocky means you're arrogant and you're conceited and you're showing off. Confident means you're self-assured. I was speaking with a man who'd had a terrific career in a multinational sports apparel company. And I said to him during the course of our conversation, so tell me about yourself. What is your strength? And he looked at me and with a pleasant tone of voice, he said, I'm an expert at leading large global teams. Boom. That was it. 
He was straightforward, no hedges. He didn't want to say, I'm just kind of like sort of a little bit good at leading large global teams. He was very straightforward. He had a pleasant tone of voice. He had good posture. I think posture is the unsung hero of confidence. If you don't even open your mouth and you have good posture, that speaks confidence for you. In that one sentence and his presentation, I thought, I can't wait to learn more about him. How did you become an expert at leading large global teams? Tell me more about that. What's the biggest challenge leading large global teams? It promoted a conversation because he was confident enough to make a statement about what his strength was without hedging or without having disclaimers. So when our parents always told us to sit up straight when we're young, they've actually given us guidance for the corporate workplace in terms of posture, right? Absolutely. And think about how often we are leaning over our laptops. We're hovering over our phones. Before we go into an interview or a big presentation, what do we do? We get on our phone and we lean over it and we scroll through. Is there one more email I need to check before I go into this meeting? Is something happening I need to be in touch with? And that doesn't promote confidence because we are hunched. So pull your shoulders down and away from your ears. And it's always helpful to put your feet flat on the ground. And here's a technique if you find yourself nervous before any kind of a workplace interaction. If you're giving someone bad news, if you have to give someone feedback, if you don't think it's going to be a good outcome, you're worried about it. One technique is to massage your Achilles tendons of all things. Your Achilles tendons are attached to your fight or flight response. Therefore, if you have a nervousness, if your hands get sweaty, if your heart beats fast, if you simply lean over and massage your Achilles tendons, it calms your body down. It's as if a physical reaction can be helped by a physical action. Your physical reaction could be your heart racing or your armpits get sweaty, but the physical action is to massage those Achilles tendons. These are all ways that we can calm ourselves down and then we can focus on the job we know we can do. So to touch upon a point that you made earlier, I'm guilty of this on my podcast when I interview experts like yourself. I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, and then I go on to a point I'm trying to make, right? So I've been doing that habit as well. And there's probably some other words that you brought up too that I've been using. So we discussed how to identify words that we should lose, but what words can we replace them? So what words should we be using instead and training our mind to start using those words to become more confident, whether it's in the workplace or in your personal life? Great, good. So I'm going to read a whole list of words. So instead of saying, correct me if I'm wrong, you could say, let me know if I heard this correctly. Instead of saying, you've been doing this longer, you could say, words to use in my experience. What do I know from my perspective? Here's another one. Jump in if you think I'm missing something. We don't need to ask somebody to look for something missing. Instead, we could say to them, I'd like to hear your thoughts after I present my idea. Or, here's what I'm thinking. Tell me what you think. Or, feel free to add in anything to the conversation. Or, is there anything else we need to consider before we move on? Those are much stronger words to use than jump in if you think I'm missing something. Here's another one that we often hear. I could be overthinking this. Well... The truth of that is that everybody's brain processes information differently. Words to use could be, let's dig deeper. Words to lose, this is just my two cents. That's called brainstorming. Words to use could be, what if we try this? Or, let's consider. 
Can you see the difference we're making? Make that small shift. This is a stupid question. No question is stupid. We know that. Words to use could be, here's my question, or here's a foundational question. Here's an elementary question. I heard Michael Barbaro, who has a podcast called The Daily, sponsored by the New York Times. And he said one time, tell that to me in an Econ 101 manner. I thought that was great. It was much stronger than saying, this is kind of a stupid question, so I'm going to ask it anyway because I need to have it answered for our audience. Instead, he said, tell us that in an Econ 101 manner. I loved that. And if you do feel that you need to have a setup phrase, if you feel like you don't want to have a disclaimer, what do I know? I'm no expert. This is a crazy idea. If you don't want to say that, but you feel like you need to have a setup phrase, you can use my mother's. She says this, this thought is 30 seconds old. (laughs) This thought is 30 seconds old. She knows that thought is not fully formed, but she has enough confidence to throw it out there, see where it lands, and then the discussion can start. That's a good way. Ready for some more? Yeah, let's go. Okay. The next group are called validators. And validators are words that we use to try to get buy-in from someone else whether it's one other person or a group at the table or a large group of people. And people often say, is that okay? Do you know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying? Am I being clear? Does that make sense? (laughs) Have you heard people say that? Does that make sense? (laughs) Very common. We want to make sure people are following along. Doesn't sound strong. Now, context is important. If you are in a complicated industry and you're trying to explain something that is unique or could be confusing, it's common to say, does that make sense? Or am I being clear? But a stronger way to use it, words to use, instead of saying, does that make sense? You could ask somebody, do you have any questions? Instead of saying, am I being clear? Words to use are, do I need to clarify anything? Let me know if I need to clarify something for you. Words to lose would be, is that okay? Words to use is, what are your thoughts? Same point, but much stronger. Instead of saying, see what I'm saying? You could say, how's this landing with you? Or does anybody want to weigh in? And you know what I feel like saying to you right now, Max? Does this make sense? (laughs) Am I being clear? I mean, we want to get feedback as human beings. We want to make sure people are following along. But I urge you to think about these words to use instead of words to lose. Doesn't make sense, right? Because you're seeking validation because if you don't say anything and you just pause, people feel uncomfortable with that. So how do you help people be comfortable in silence? Oh, be comfortable in silence. Well, if you've just given a presentation and instead of saying, does that make sense? You could say, do you have any questions? If nobody has any questions, you can say, great, let's move on. Number two, and then carry on with the conversation. And don't be afraid of silence. Not everybody moves at the same pace. And if you tend to talk fast or present your ideas in a quick manner, not everybody can follow along as well. And I will tell you there is power in pause for sure, but there's also power in pace. If you go too fast, you can lose people. And when that happens, then they don't relate to you and they can zone out. They'll default to their phones and order dinner from Chipotle instead of listening to you. (laughs) So there's two things we've discussed, builder words and then pacing and then pausing. I'm naturally a fast talker. So how do you train someone like me to slow down and not make it robotic? 
Did you notice you just slowed yourself down? Yeah. You said, how do you get someone like me to slow down and not sound robotic? And that's the way you do it. You practice. You record yourself. You find out how fast you talk. And then you slow it down. And remember, that pacing is not necessarily for you. It's for the listener. And remember, it's all about our audience, whether we have an audience of one other person or a crowd. We need to have what we're talking about relate to the audience, because if it's not about them, they will check out mentally and physically. I would encourage you to do that. The other suggestion I have for people about not using fillers and hedges and disclaimers and validators is to write down on a sticky note some words to use that you want to highlight. For instance, I was working with a woman who'd had a very successful career in the tech industry. 20 years with the same company, she'd moved steadily up the ranks. And during the course of our conversation, she said to me, you know, I know my stuff and I'm pretty good at what I do. But lately, we've been hiring a lot of young talent and I just feel like people aren't taking me seriously. It's like they don't see how capable I am and it's sort of rattling my confidence a little. And I thought, okay, I said to her, think about that, Max. Did you pick up any of those words to lose in that brief five sentences she gave me? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know my stuff. I'm pretty good at what I do. I sort of feel like, I said to her, do you have a sticky pad? She said, yeah. I said, great. I want you to write down these phrases on your sticky pad right now. And the number one phrase I want you to write down is, from my perspective. Then write down what I know. What I know after 20 years in the tech industry. Our data shows. People can't argue with the data. And then you could write down, I recommend. Now, I want you to take that sticky note, and I want you to put those words to lose and put it right on the corner of your laptop. And every time you're on a phone call, sending an email, having a conversation on a Zoom call, I want you to use those words. Replace the words to lose with the words to use. A few weeks later, she calls me on a Thursday afternoon. She says, Tracy, this is amazing. She said, people are listening to me differently. It's as if I have more credibility and influence. I said to her, you always have, but now your words match your capabilities. Words have power. There's a lot of words that people need to like, lose, right? So do you recommend like working on one or two at a time to not make them feel overwhelmed? What's your strategy on that? Every 30 days is the key. Pick one word you want to lose. Is it sort of? Is it, does that make sense? Is it? I could be overthinking this. Whatever is that word to lose or that phrase, lose that word in 30 days or decide that you're going to use another word. Is there anything I need to clarify? Does anyone have any questions? You replace those words and then I would take it one word or phrase at a time. We're in the long game. (laughs) But once you begin using these words to use, then your confidence will go up. And then as you get more confident, then other people will have more confidence in you. And then it becomes a virtuous cycle going upward. You feel more confident. Other people treat you differently. That builds your confidence and on it goes. It's very exciting. And what's very cool is you can do this today. You can choose a word today to lose or use and begin to incorporate that into your mind. Very actionable. 
Going back to like the tone of your voice, the pacing, some people talk faster throughout the whole conversation. Some people might talk a bit slower throughout the whole conversation. Some might just use the same tone. So how do you incorporate like various pacing and various tonalities to make it more engaging, right? Because if someone's just talking the same way throughout the whole like speech, it does bore the audience, right? So how do you try to like add that variety as well as having stronger impactful words in your vocabulary? A lot of it is picking out where you want to make your impact. If you're talking about three important points in a PowerPoint, you would say, for instance, point number one, pause a moment, give people a chance to, okay, she's going to focus on point number one. And then you can talk about that. Does anybody have any questions before we move on to point number two? So now you're getting people to buy in, making sure they understand what you're talking about. And I think there's no substitute for recording yourself or transcribing That's another technique. You can do that on your Zoom calls or any platform you're using. You can have that information transcribed, and that is embarrassing and illuminating. We see all those uhs, ums, likes, you knows, just a little maybes throughout our presentation. And then I would also encourage people to be kind to yourself. We've been through an unspeakable time in our history, the global pandemic, climate crises, racial reckoning, problems with education, women in work, supply chain issues. It feels the conflict around the world. It feels overwhelming. Therefore, I would encourage you to be kind to yourself. Know that you're in this for the long haul. And the more you change your words over time, the better you'll feel. That's great. For someone who is not confident in their communication skills right now, you say like to start, just pick one word and just work on that for 30 days. What are some other recommendations that you can provide for someone who wants to take action today to become a better speaker and get those opportunities that they want in their career? Sure. Well, let's talk about how you can respond if you tend to get interrupted. Because many times when we are new in our careers or if we are new at a job, We tend not to speak too much because we don't want to step on anybody's toes and we don't want to come on too strong. But there are always people who get interrupted often or people who do interrupt often. And the suggestion I use when you are interrupted is to use your I statements. And by I statements, I'm talking about ways that you can express what you want and always to use someone's name. Scientists tell us if you use someone's name, it activates a part of their brain long enough for them to stop talking, and for you to be able to interject what you want to say. You could say something as simple as, Lewis, hold on a minute, I'm almost finished. Or, Kim, I'd like to finish my point, please. When you talk about I statements, it is what your boundaries are, what your feelings are, what your needs are. I'm almost finished, or I'd like to finish my point, or hold on a minute, please. I know you'll be interested in this. That's another way. If you are interrupted frequently, if you can say to someone, you may be interested in this, that would get their attention. So Lewis, hold on a minute, please. I think you'll be interested in this. Ooh, now Lewis is interested because you're talking about him. She's going to say something that is of interest to me. Or Bill, hold on a second. I don't want to miss Jeff's idea. Go ahead, Jeff. Now that's an example of what we call amplification. Amplification is when you notice another colleague being interrupted at all, you can stop the interrupter by saying, Bill, hang on one quick second. I don't want to miss what Jeff has to say or Jeff's idea. 
Now that gives Bill a chance to cool his jets. Jeff gets to express his idea, and everyone in the room knows that they will have a chance to express their ideas as well. Amplification is a very powerful collegial tool that you can use among your colleagues. If you get interrupted, use someone's name and use those I statements. I'm almost finished. Hang in there. I'm almost finished making my point. What's the difference between interrupting and interjecting? What I mean by that is, let's say there's a person that is presenting and then you want to ask a question or add an additional point to it. Is it the right time to interrupt or should you let them finish their thought? Or, but again, some people might not even pause, right? So you don't want to wait for the <laughs> question when, there's already, when they're far to like another point, right? So what's your advice? Yes. Oh, I love that. That's such a great question. First of all, when I talk about interrupting, I mean you being interrupted or me being interrupted. If I'm speaking and someone interrupts me, it's completely legitimate for me to say, Ryan, hang on one quick second. I'm almost finished. That way you can get Ryan's attention. And let me tell you, if you're speaking with a superior, your boss, an influencer, that's very hard to step in. You may want to wait until they take a breath and then say, before we move on, I'd like to get back and finish that point I was making earlier. That way you're not really putting them on the spot, but you're asserting yourself. And you know, before we move on to the next topic or before the meeting ends, I'd like to circle back to what I was talking about a couple of minutes ago. But if you need to interject, that's a very important technique because there are people who can take over conversations and they never come up for air and you can never get a word in edgewise. It's still important to use someone's name. Remember, that gets their brain's attention and you want to acknowledge what they said. Therefore, someone's talking and you could say, I'll tag on to what Paul is saying. Now, Paul gets the kudos for saying something interesting that you want to tag on to. Or you could say something like, Michelle, that's a really good point. In my view, so now you've used her name, you've acknowledged her, that's a good point. And then you can say, in my view, you give your perspective. Or, Laura, that's very interesting. I have another perspective. You've used her name, you've acknowledged her, and then you give your perspective. It may feel stiff at the beginning, but I promise you, if you practice these skills, and I'm talking about when you're walking the dog, when you're chopping up vegetables at night, when you're taking a run, if you say these words over and over, I believe once you hear them come out of your mouth, then you know you'll be able to say them in real time. That's great. And in terms of like changing in the workplace, some people might feel like, uncomfortable making that change. So let's say you have a relationship with your boss and you've been using these filler words, you've been like talking differently and not trying to change that. Your colleagues might think that they might notice that something's different and it might not be a good thing. Uh, they might not think of it as a good thing uh, or it might make it awkward. So how do you push past that to improve yourself? Oh, remember we were talking about the difference between confidence and cocky. It's about your tone of voice. It's about having a neutral expression on your face. It's about you know, if I said, I'm an expert at leading large global teams, that's my body language. That's my tone of voice. That's very cool. Don't touch me. But if you say in very neutral tones, I'm an expert at leading large global teams, people are going to be energized by that. I promise you, if you begin to lose some of these words to lose and gain and start using these words to use, they may not consciously notice it, but they will begin to see you as more self-assured. And isn't that the point? 
that you don't need to make this big announcement. I think people will pick up on it intuitively. That's great. And what is some like lasting piece of advice for someone who is frustrated with their communication skills and they want to make a change today? My piece of advice, ah, here's a story for you. This may help. My friend Mary's daughter, who's in her mid-30s, came over to visit one day. And Mary noticed that Maddie was saying, you know, a lot. And at the end of their conversation, end of the afternoon, Mary said, Maddie, could I give you some feedback on some words I noticed that you were using today? And Maddie said, okay. And Mary said, you use the words, you know, a lot. And Maddie said, oh, all right. Okay. See you later. So she left. A couple of weeks later, she comes back to visit her mom. And the whole afternoon, Maddie did not say, you know, once, not one time. And when she was leaving, Mary said to her, Maddie, I noticed that you didn't say, you know, how did you do it? And Maddie looked at her and said, I decided, <laughs> I decided just the way we can decide that we're going to get up at 6am instead of pushing the snooze button. Just the way we decide we're going to go to the gym or cut back on carbs or, you know, go to bed at a decent hour. Just the way we decide about those kinds of important milestones in our life or decisions we want to make, you can do the same with words to lose and words to use. It's about being intentional with your actions and wanting to make something happen, right? Yes, and being patient with yourself. You've talked that way for a long time. We all have. I, I have. I should have told you this at the beginning. I have a 10-so threshold <laughs> in an hour. And my goal is to not say the word so more than 10 times. And I should have asked you to count that. I'll do that next time, Max. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> do we have time for one more grouping? Yeah, let's go ahead. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about over saying I'm sorry. And that has become a pandemic casualty. People will say things like, sorry, can you hear me? Sorry, I was on mute. Sorry for the noise. It's my neighbor's leaf blower. You know, sorry for my Wi-Fi. Sorry for my cat. Sorry about the interruptions. I mean, we are apologizing left and right. And if people can make the mental shift from saying, I'm sorry to thank you, it can make a big difference. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your flexibility. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for welcoming my crazy cat. Thank you. All different ways that we can say thank you. Now, if you've made a mistake, if there's been a misunderstanding, if you've stepped on someone's toe, <laughs> by all means, apologize. There's nothing better than an authentic apology. But be mindful of the times when you apologize that you don't necessarily need to. For instance, two people coming through the same door. Oh, sorry. Or you could just say to someone, after you. Of course, after you. And we apologize other times saying things like, I'm sorry, I disagree. Instead, words to use are, I respectfully disagree, or I have a different perspective, or this is how I see it. Stronger, more confident. Instead of saying, I'm sorry, I've changed my mind, you could say, I've changed my mind. I have some new data. This is where I'm coming from now. Think about that. That's great. Is there any other points that you want to share before we wrap about, up? About I'm sorry, or as we wrap up? Yeah, I will in leave general, you. yeah. I'll leave you with this. We all have a voice. <laughs> and in my view, your voice and the words that you use can be your biggest change agents. It can give people a chance to see you differently and for you to see yourself differently. To say what you 
know and what you want and say what you mean and to use confidence in your conversation. So let these words to use elevate your voice and your language and your communication and your relationships and your leadership and your future opportunities. A common one that I want your opinion on is like, I want to respect your time and then you keep going for whatever you're asking or what have you. What's your thoughts on that phrase? Is that a disclaimer? Oh, that's interesting. That is, is that a disclaimer? Yes, that could be a disclaimer. I want to respect your time. My feeling is we all have 24 hours in a day. Everyone's time is as valuable as anyone else's. What I like to say is, I want to be respectful of both of our time. We're scheduled to finish at three. Does that still work for you? And the other person could say, no, I need to finish at 2.50. And you say, great, thanks for telling me. If you say you want to respect your time, I want to be mindful of our time, then you need to end on time. I often say to people, if you're going to meet with someone, a prospect, uh, you're going for an interview, or you're meeting with a client or coworker, And you could say to them, I know we scheduled 20 minutes for this meeting. Does that still work for you? No, I only have 15. Great. Thanks for telling me. Let's just cover these two topics then. Now people will be appreciative that you value their time and your own. That makes a big difference. And if you have a 30-minute meeting scheduled with someone, at 25 minutes, keep a timer on your phone, at 25 minutes in, say, I'd promise 30 minutes, we're bumping up against that. Do you have any other information or comments you want to make in the time we have left? And now that person thinks, huh, she's keeping her word. She said 30 minutes and that's what it's going to be. It's exciting. And these are all within our control. This is language that's in our control. And you know, Max, I think I hope I mentioned to you that I have just published a book. It's called The Now Hello, What to Say, What to Do in the World of Work Now, Remote, Hybrid, and In-Person. And the point is, what do we say now? What do we say now that some of us are remote, some people are fully in-person, hybrid, somewhere in between? How do we express ourselves now? And all of this information is in the now hello. Great. And I want to respect our time together. Thank you. Well learned. Yeah, I learned something right on the podcast and I'm applying it right away. <laughs> As you're aware, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges and speaking is one of them. So my last question to you is, What has been your biggest challenge in your career, whether it's going from TV broadcaster to creating the confidence project in terms of like building your brand and building your client base? What has been one big challenge that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? My one big challenge is trusting in the process. And the process is speaking with someone about the confidence project and how it can support them every day. It's making a phone call. It's sending an email every single day. It's following up with people. Because what I have found is when I get very busy, I don't tend to network that much. And then I'm not as busy. And then I don't have any prospects. And I'm sure that's true with a lot of entrepreneurs. You need to keep promoting your business every single day and make it a part of your everyday journey. Don't think about today I'm networking and then I'll network again on Thursday It has to be a constant practice. And my challenge has been doing that consistently. And when I do, everything hums. And when I don't, I scramble. (laughs) So I suggest that people be consistent, no matter what it takes. 
Absolutely. Consistency is the key to success. It's all about being consistent and being patient and trusting the process, right? Yes. You talked about your brand new book. How else can people contact you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them with their speaking skills? Oh, great. Well, they can go to my website, which is confidenceproject.com. And on the bottom of every page, there's an invitation to sign up for the complimentary monthly video news program. I offer a two-minute video on confidence skills. I have TV news on the brain. And it's a one to three minute video that has something to do with a confidence skill. It's complimentary. It comes to your inbox on the first Thursday of every month. And it's a great way to get some tips on confidence building and then share with people on your team or your family or friends. So they can find that on confidenceproject.com, the website. And then on Instagram is the confidence underscore project. And then of course, Tracy Hooper on LinkedIn. Great. Again, appreciate your time, Tracy. And I hope my listeners got a lot of value in speaking and improving their speaking skills to help them get to the next level of their career. Excellent. Thank you, Max. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.